You're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 96, and it features a discussion with 2022 chair of the biopharmaceutical section, Alan Hartford. We discuss what he hopes to accomplish in 2022. Note that the Regulatory Industry Workshop is currently accepting submissions for posters or roundtable discussions. The deadline is March 30th for roundtables and April 12th for posters. The 2022 workshop takes place September 20th through the 22nd in Rockville, Maryland. Get those proposals in and hope to see you all in person this September. And as a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. And now let's start the show. Hi, folks. Today I'm talking with Alan Hartford. Senior Director of Biostatistics at Takeda in the Neuroscience Therapeutic Area. He is the 2022 Chair for the ASA Biopharmaceutical Section. Good afternoon, Alan, and thanks so much to you for being here. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'd like to welcome you back to the podcast. Uh, you participated in one of our uh, first few episodes, actually episode number two, way back in 2012, uh, you and Jingyi Ku discussed the 2012 Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. Can you remind us what your statistics story is? How did you become interested in statistics? For me, it was uh, difficult to pick a major in college. I was interested in so many of the different science uh, sciences, and I also liked math a lot. So. Um, I, I did end up majoring in math, uh, focused on systems of differential equations. This then led into statistics as I found applying the math to, um, to real-world problems, you know, more of the applied math sciences, um, I found very satisfying. And I focused there in uh, nonlinear models. So between studying statistics and nonlinear models and math and systems of differential equations, um, I found the pharmacometric modeling really interesting. Uh, so when I started in industry, I worked in uh, a phase one statistics group, and I did get to participate in the modeling at that time. So really, it, it's a really great opportunity. I think back then, um, we didn't have as many biostats programs in the nation. So um, many of us came into our jobs not being um, specifically trained for what we did. So it was really great for me to have um, some application from what I did in school. Um, so that, that led me, you know, I, as I explained through the math and stats to the pharmaceutical industry and the kind of modeling that I was specifically interested in. You've spent a lot of your career at large pharmaceutical companies, uh, and, and you're currently at Takeda. 
Can you describe your current role for us and, and describe a little bit about how your career has changed over time? Um, you mentioned how you were involved early on in pharmacometrics. Um, uh, is that still true with your career now? Yes, uh, I work at Takeda. I lead the neuroscience statistics group supporting um, you know, development um, through um, late stage uh, studies. And the career that led me to this, uh, I have moved around quite a bit, both in some companies, but even more so in, um, in the areas in the pharmaceutical industry that I've worked in, such as um, I, I've worked all the way, you know, supporting um, studies, you know, uh, chemistry studies, you know, bench work um, through uh, in vivo pharmacology studies in mice. Uh, worked in uh, phase one, like first in human studies, but also the clin other clinifarm studies. I've worked in um, various diseases. I've probably spent more time in oncology still so far than other areas, but um, I've worked through phase two, three, and four in oncology mostly, and now leading that group in, in uh, at Takeda in neuroscience. We keep hearing a uh, how neuroscience is the new oncology, and we really hope so in the sense that oncology has had such great breakthroughs uh, in the last 10, 20 years. We're hoping to follow that up with neuroscience uh, uh, breakthroughs. Well, similar to oncology, do you, do you anticipate um, neuroscience developing as many sort of changes or enhancements to, to statistical methodologies? Neuroscience is fascinating for statisticians especially, because there are so many different endpoints. And with different endpoints, we have different um, types of data leading you know, to the need for different types of analyses. So I find in, um, in neuroscience clinical work, we have to be more engaged in biomarker work than maybe other clinical statisticians. Um, and earlier you asked me about pharmacometrics work. I, I've, um, I also at one point led a pharmacometrics team within a stats unit working side by side with uh, the PKPD modelers uh, from the pharmacokinetic side. Um, so I, that was really satisfying and, and really enjoyed, you know, getting into that area. Uh, I've dabbled in that here and there. I published some, um, but it's not something I specifically focus in at this time. You were instrumental in the formation of the Statistics and Pharmacometrics Interest Group uh, within the ASA. Can you briefly describe this process and informing this interest group and, and give your impression on how the, the group is currently functioning, uh, if, if you're aware of how it is functioning? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, when I, um, at, you know, after I was co-chair of the Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop, uh, way back when 2012, like you mentioned. After that, my next step was to be a um, a, uh, a representative for the biofarm section at the um, the Council of Sections. And in that role, I saw other interest groups forming and how some of these become sections. And once I saw the process, I thought, well really interesting working group, I thought, was pharmacometrics. 
Um, I think there, there are statisticians that work specifically in this field trained as statisticians, but working, you know, in that area. And um, while there are um, wonderful pharmacometric uh, associations out there, um, we didn't have maybe a great connection with them to reminding ourselves that the statisticians working on uh, clinical programs should be aware of the work being done there because we're making inference on the program and it goes to the regulatory agencies. So um, we saw the need for that um, group and um, submitted the, um, the charter and was approved. And I brought on um, a steering committee to help us and, and um, others that, that actually worked in the area because I was working more in methods at that time. They, um, they picked up the ball and ran with it and did so much more than I did to keep it moving forward. So I know that that group is now affiliated both with the American Statistical Association, but they're also, um, they're, they're also directly linked to pharmacometrics groups uh, out there. And um, being a, a, um, an interest group in, in both, um, which is, is giving them um, the attention that they need and also uh, the members. I'm not active right now in that group, so I couldn't tell you exactly what's, what's on their agenda. Well, that, uh, that sounds like uh, an awesome opportunity and taking advantage of uh, you know, your volunteer efforts uh, within the um, section to you know, identify something that's of interest to you and, and see how um, it may benefit other statisticians within the group. And yeah, certainly there's um, areas where, you know, we as statisticians, we get some um, exposure to it. But um, yeah, pharmacometrics, I always feel like uh, I just get a little bit of it um, and, and not sort of a, a, a deeper understanding of it. Um, so you helping... Uh, sort of build those bridges is uh, really commendable. Um, and speaking of volunteering, um, you're the ultimate volunteer this year. You're the 2020 chair of the biopharmaceutical section. And actually, I guess uh, you're elected as that position, but uh, congratulations on your new role. Um, and having served as the chair-elect for this past year and, and observing the activities of the executive committee, um, and its various subcommittees. What are your impressions of the section in supporting statisticians uh, in the medical product industry? Well, thanks, Richard. You left really big shoes to fill as you uh, were in this role a few years ago. And since you with um, Bruce uh, Binkowitz and um, Whaley, he <laughs> all left really big shoes to fill, um, done some really great things. So um, the biofarm section has, you know, many wonderful activities, and they're um, continuing to provide uh, value to statisticians in our industry, including um, our workshop, um, which is the Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. Um, we have our JSM programs, our, 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 our um, efforts in, within that uh, venue. We have our webinars. We support uh, diversity and leadership and practice. We have groups within our biofarm section both focusing on those areas. We have collaborations with other statistical groups. 
and um, you know we, within bio, within uh, ASA, but also across um, other external groups. And there's then the scholarship awards that you had the vision, Richard. Thanks for for doing that. You had the vision for um, the scholarship awards for students, uh, and um, you initiated that. And there's so many other things going on. So my job, I see, is just to, you know keep these these efforts moving forward, keep the door open for new ideas that the session members have, and you making sure we're providing value to our members, which I think that you guys all previously have done. Well, thanks for the kind words, Alan, and I appreciate it. And yeah, it's, you know, you try to try to do what you can when you're um, involved with the section and, and trying to make things bigger and better. And I know the past few years have seen a number of challenges with COVID and, and certainly, you know, just this past week, um, there was a meeting for the ASA that was postponed uh, that was in person due to the surge of the Omicron variant. Um, but yeah, the executive committee has navigated nearly two years of, of virtual meetings and conferences and, and modifications to many other activities um, due to COVID. And um, now we see that the Omicron variant may push our reconvening together e even further out. Uh, how, do, how do you think the executive committee has navigated these challenges for COVID, and do you think we'll get to see a, a return to our in-person events in, in 2022? I know we have until August to see if we'll have JSM and September for the workshop, but do you think it'll be a possibility? Yeah, it's still, of course, an area of concern. Yes, we've had two years of going fully virtual, um, even with all the efforts to curb the spread and, and you know, the reoccurrence of, of COVID through different var um, variants, um, we do see, of course, COVID affecting the way we work and we interact. Um, our conferences were still successful in 2020 and 2021, um, but they were, um, as you know, virtual meetings. And um, I think there was a lot of learning um, done to make these successful. And I think that that they were, I thought they were really great meetings. Um, we had some discussion about a hybrid model for 2022. It would be fantastic if we could have some people attend in person and some attend online. But that we quickly found was much more difficult than a, than a fully virtual meeting, how to make sure microphones were available not just for the speakers and to be able to view their presentation, but it's um, allowing for participants to have questions either on the floor in the room or um, online. It, it just really is such a huge challenge. So we, we realized that, that that may be a future, um, a need for us, but for right now, we had to continue as though we're going to be there in person. We also know that um, that the, uh, the ASA planner that we work with uh, has shown us that we can very quickly switch to a fully virtual meeting if needed. So either way, I do see that we're set up for success on that. And, um, you know, I just look forward to both our conferences coming up later this year. What other non-COVID related challenges has the executive committee had to cope with? 
I think one challenge that the executive committee should focus on every year is um, on recruiting new members. Um, you know, uh, in recent years, you know, we've seen new technologies being used for interacting with each other. And this is one example, Richard, this podcast that you started. And thank you for that. All the wonderful podcasts you've done. And this is a new uh, you know, way to interacting with our members and prospective members. And so the challenge is to continue using new platforms to show value to, um, you know, to prospective members of ASA and the biofarm section. Yeah, maybe the uh, the section needs its own TikTok or something. And I, I don't even know what that is, quite frankly. <laughs> my, my kids probably do, but um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's just another one of those uh, social media things, I guess. Um, but uh, let's try to be a little bit more hopeful about what we uh, can actually accomplish uh, in 2022. Uh, what what's, what specific goals do you have for uh, the biopharmaceutical section and, uh, and and where you hope it uh, uh, ends um, by the end of the year? Well, you uh, you said specific, but I have to start with something general, which is of course you know keeping everything that everyone has already had in motion, keep everything moving forward, um, and keeping open to new ideas. But but one specific thing that um, working on is um, something that Leon Fong uh, has started, and that's uh, leading this um, le- leading a new effort to engage more with statisticians working in smaller biotech. Uh, Leon works in small biotech. He's, he knows a lot of people in that area. He saw the need um, for sharing information on statistical approaches, but also importantly, um, processes in the regulatory uh, regulated. Uh, arena that we work in. Um, you can't, you know, the more we learn, the more we understand we, we can't know everything. So the more you learn, the more you learn that you need to learn more, or however you say that right. But <laughs> with that in mind, uh, one statistician working in a small biotech company really, um, that's a stressful situation to be in if you really put all the weight on your own shoulders to, to know everything. And you don't have I mean, because you don't have um, other statisticians in your company to bounce ideas off and get experience from them. So, you know, we're thinking about what we can do and provide information, maybe training, maybe some videos um, for both statistical approaches, that, which we've already been doing for a long time um, through our webinar series, but also specifically, again, for these processes. That sounds really, uh, really fascinating, and, and and kind of being at a small company myself, and and, and going through similar challenges. Um, yeah, there is that expectation that you know, uh, being the statistician, that um, you'll have the answers for every <laughs> everything statistical at your fingertips, or can at least figure it out uh, within a twenty-four hour period, and that you know, that's generally not true. Um, but yeah, uh, having some sort of infrastructure for that would certainly be helpful, and, and maybe it's even, you know, not to reproduce the efforts of the of the sort of the consultant section uh, or the section on statistical consulting, but maybe having um, some sort of, you know, listing of statisticians that can 
provide advice on, on different topics and, and just general ideas on how to do things. Like if, you, if you're building a department and, you know, how do you go about thinking about the software you're bringing in and all of these other kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that, that sounds like a, a, a new and, and, and vital effort. Um, so that's exciting to hear about that. Um, I also understand uh, in, in some of our past discussions that you have an interest in supporting statisticians who are new in, in, in biopharmaceutical section careers. Um, so is this for non-biostatistician um, quantitative scientists who are sort of newly functioning as biostatisticians, or is this a general effort to, to help all new professionals um, in the medical product industry? Um, and, and either way, what, I, what ideas do you have to, su to support these new individuals? Well, we've been thinking about how that same effort for statisticians working at uh, in small companies, um, that same effort can be used to help statisticians just starting their career, even in large companies. And also, just like you mentioned, um, others who work alongside statisticians doing other quantitative work or or we do have we do have people in other train um, you know being trained in other areas like physics and math sometimes are a statistician to have that as a title uh, in in, uh, in our industry so you know um, just providing more training um, and opportunities for people to help direct where they want um, I think having those avenues for discussion and questions will all the all the people you mentioned. And scientific working groups have been a major part of the biopharmaceutical section in recent years. I, you know, last I counted, there was around 10 of them. And I'd be curious if, if there are um, additional scientific working groups that are um, in the, in the formation stages, but how do you also hope to support these working groups as they, conduct and, and disseminate their research? I think at this point, um, for those that have working groups that have been existing for a while now, um, that the word dissemination that you just mentioned is very important. So we're making a special effort to to provide them opportunities. When we're, we work on our webinar series for this year, we've reached out to those working groups to ask them um, you know, early on, I think we asked them in December for this year, you know, who among them want to bring something forward? We, and we received um, more responses that people wanted to give talks and a number of talks per work, not just one, because they've been doing so much um, in that cooperative space, working together across different companies and uh, academic groups um, and FDA, of course, too. You know, that uh, so a lot of... Um, big wins that um, people should uh, be able to present so that we can all learn from that experience and, and provide value to each other and um, to give recognition to all this that really, I think, is a good thing. I guess, ha have there been new requests to, to form new scientific working groups or uh, has that kind of slowed down recently? No, it... Um, no new scientific working groups right now, that, at least not that's been uh, presented to me yet. Um, but this, uh, 
like this effort that Leong is doing for for new um, like uh, for physicians and new com uh, small companies. You know, we realized that that effort really wasn't a scientific working group, but maybe just another committee. So we have had this committee, and I believe there was one other um, that has been newly formed, and will you know make adjustments to the biofarm section as these things form and and. Um, and continue to ask volunteers for across all the ones that we have going. Yeah, but if anyone listening, I guess, is is, is interested or, or thinks there um, would be benefit to a scientific working group um, uh, on the biopharmaceutical section website, there there is um, under the About Us tab there is a the scientific working group committee page um, that talks about the requirements and and necessary documents to to create um, a scientific working group and i think based on your description earlier alan of the 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 pharmacometrics interest group it's sort of a similar process and and defining a charter and and what sort of uh research areas that the group would be focusing on um and uh but yeah and that information's on the the biofarm website so uh, definitely check it out, and and I think in the past the sections made many efforts uh, to build relationships and synergies with other groups inside and beyond the ASA. Uh, how do you hope to expand this outreach um, to other uh, like-minded scientists? Well, I started out last year as chair-elect, and I asked to be a member of the outreach committee. And we've now written it into our manual operations that every incoming chair elect would be on the, op, um, the outreach committee just to get a sense of what other groups are out there that we've worked with in the past and, and what, um, what, you know, help decide what efforts we're going to move forward with. There, there are a lot of activities going on outside of our section that is in the same area, the same sandbox that we're in. And we do need to figure, we need more focus, and we're going to do that this year, is to figure out exa exactly what is, our, um, what is our goal with this. I think, um, you know, of course, we have the goal of helping our own statisticians know about other efforts out there so that they can learn from them. And we also want to increase our own membership through interacting with other groups. But then we, we also have to understand that people have a limit of how many different groups they can belong to. So. Um, while we really want to support what others are doing, we also want to compete to show that the biofarm section is the first stop for, for the work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, I would second that, that uh, we're the first stop. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the biofarm section is... Um, just in terms of seeing the the output and, and and the activities that they've engaged in over the the last several years, um, I, I think it's just amazing the amount of um, dedication all of these volunteers put into being a part of the section and trying to make the section grow and um, do some amazing things and um, always always very proactive in, in trying to find new ways to engage people. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think that's really pretty amazing, um, with an all volunteer group. 
And we've already talked about COVID and, you know, not just, you know, we've had our conferences and meetings interrupted and, you know, a lot of challenges with webinars just because of how many webinars are being generated now um, since people can't get together. But um, how do you think recent changes with COVID and will affect how the biopharmaceutical section provides services and, and interacts with membership. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, looking at hybrid models for um, meetings and, and certainly that's a lot of work, but, you know, for example, do you think um, that future conferences may have uh, a virtual component to them in, in terms of um, allowing for certain speakers um, that may be challenging to, to, to get them to travel um, you know, from from far points of the earth to to attend the meeting. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on how things may or may not change based on our experiences of the last two years? Yeah, well, specifically about conferences like you're talking about. Um, I think that that uh, we could augment our in-person conferences with a repeat of a presentation which could be recorded and shared with others. So even if people um, are attending, you know, want to attend virtually, and they, they, they wouldn't get it at the exact same time. But, you know, one of the things I had, I found a real value to me the past couple of years is that I didn't have to log into the, to the session at the time it was given. I could work around my, you know, my job, my schedule at the, my job to, to find the time to focus on the talks that I wanted to, to, to add, you know, more time to, to make sure I followed. So giving people those opportunities, um, both the speakers for, for more wider dissemination for also um, membership providing that. But in addition to, to talking about how conferences are affected and how, how we, I think that, you know, for, for years now, we've been moving, our society has been moving away from necessarily in-person. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's as, as maybe, uh, you know, someone not as, you mentioned your kids earlier and then TikTok. I'm, so I think of myself, I mean, I, I, I'm learning to use text messages more with my own family and, uh, um, but there's more and more venues to do things online and to still participate so that you're not just, uh, um, just listening, but you, but you're engaged. So I'm really hopeful for, for new things you have to come that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I think our, our work environments have been uh, fundamentally changed. Um, I, I never imagined I'd be <laughs> working uh, virtually out of, uh, uh, I guess my kids would call it their Xbox room. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, we can supplement some of that virtual time with some face-to-face -face time and, 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 and get to see some people this year uh, in 2020. Um, it's been too long. Well, Alan, I, I, I really appreciate you uh, talking with me today and uh, giving us a little taste of uh, what we can expect to see with the 
uh, biopharmaceutical section in, in 2022. And I wish you success with your role as the chair. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate the opportunity. And there you have it, episode 96 with Chair Alan Hartford. I hope you enjoyed the episode. In the meantime, get that COVID booster. We'll see you next time.